The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. I'm glad you can join me today as we meditate on the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. We are going to address the fact that the believer, the repentant sinner, has been set free from their record of crimes before God and the blessedness of this new position in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a pre-recorded message that occurred about a week ago, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you. So let's just pray before we begin. Father, we just bless you again for your precious word. We ask that everything that is said and taught may be used to strengthen your people and help us in our walk with you to hold your hand and to trust you. Not too long ago, we were celebrating Easter and of course the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, I was raised, you know, to go to church on these quote unquote sacred uh, days in the calendar. Observation that sometimes misses the significance of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus and especially his resurrection. And, uh, so this morning I'd like to spend some time there and God willing in the uh, Lord's Day in Hebrews 10. Chapter 10. I want to say on a light note, uh, my brother brought it out and I thought it was amusing that I really am a quiet person, believe it or not. <laughs> he might not believe it, but I am content with a good book and a cup of coffee in, in a quiet room by myself, not to be bothered. Uh, and some of my friends are a bit surprised, but it is really true. Um, and I, I will make this admission when I was first called into the uh, Lord's work in, in terms of ministry and realized that I had to actually stand in front of people, I just said, this is not for me. <laughs> this is not for me. But God is so good. And, you know, I always remind myself that he's the one that makes donkeys talk. So <laughs> I'll leave the analogy with you. But God has always given the grace to be able to share what is uh, precious to me. For me, that, that is what ministry has been, just a sharing with you what blesses me. And if it's a blessing to you, then God be praised. So in Hebrews chapter 10, we're just going to read a few of the verses until about verse 12. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the image of the things 
can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. But then they would not have ceased, for then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will. Previously saying, Sacrifice and burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. So in these first uh, 12 verses, one key thought that comes out is the taking away of sins, taking away of sins. And this morning we have to make a distinction, very important distinction. This, this morning we'll be sort of trying to teach. Okay, it's important that we try to understand. But in understanding truth, we have to make a distinction between my experience and God's perspective. Let me illustrate. For those of you who remember what it was like before you were saved, and you heard the gospel, you may have heard it before, but never made the connection that there was another, a substitute, who gave himself on your behalf and in your place. And however you understood that truth, one day it made sense. And the sense it made was, Christ died for the ungodly, but if I reject that offer, I have to stand and give an account to God on my own account, which I am already doomed based on what the scripture says. So what we did is we stopped trusting in ourselves, our merit, our good works, and we transferred that confidence, that trust, to another. At that time, it made sense. We can't always explain the how it made sense. We just knew it makes sense. And then we trusted. We placed our confidence. We placed our reliance. We placed our expectation for deliverance from judgment, deliverance from hell, and all that comes with it. 
we pray that on another. That responsibility was assigned, if you will, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we embraced him as our Savior. Now, the scripture also tells us that the Spirit, John 1, for example, bears witness with our spirit that we are sons of God. And what the Holy Spirit is saying by the hand of the apostle is that awareness that I am a Christian, that I belong, that I'm a son of God, is not something that's inbred. It is imparted. The awareness, the knowledge, it is given, it is witnessed to by the indwelling spirit that I belong to him. But at that time when that witness comes, I may not feel like a Christian. I may not have been the best Christian. But that's not the point of the witness. The witness is given by the Spirit of God to give assurance that I belong to the Lord Jesus. I am in his hand, John chapter 10. Not able to pluck my sheep out of my hand and so forth. I say that now to come to this. The writer to the Hebrews is pointing out the efficacy of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, both the death, burial, and resurrection. Why is it effective? What comes out of it? And where sometimes we become confused is that we try to feel these things and it is not addressed to our feelings. It is like when someone says, I love you. You have to take it by faith that they love you and it is later validated, that's right, <laughs> validated by their actions. But the pronouncement comes first, I love you. And they may hug you, maybe a husband and wife, or a mother to a child, or a child to a mom, or whatever the case may be to a parent. But I love you, words are expressed about a sentiment that my heart towards you is such and such. And over time, the behaviors, the words, the gestures, the expressions begin to strengthen that bond that I am loved. Okay, stay with me. So now here in chapter 10, the writer points back to the Old Testament with bulls and goats and bloodshedding. And the issue here is the removal of sins. How do you know how would they know my sins have been expiated, removed, dealt with, addressed, forgiven? How would you know? They, in the old covenant, had to repeat it every single year and some sacrifices frequently. And when the high priest, fighting in Exodus, for example, in Leviticus, but he would go into the Holy of Holies once per year and everybody's hoping that he comes out alive. <laughs> because if he dies in there, they got to pull him out. They can't go in. But that told them that they have a reprieve for another year. Fast forward to our times. I was chatting with my sister recently uh, about my dad. My dad is 92. And we've been praying. I've been a Christian over 40 years praying for this man. Headstrong. And at one point, a few years in, he said, don't ever discuss these things with me because I was I was on him. 
He didn't want to hear it anymore. And he said this, I never forgot. Don't discuss this with me until I'm an old man. He's now an old man living on borrowed time. And God raised up my sister to be a witness to him and so forth and so on. And as we were talking, my sister and I, and I said to her, just say to dad, ask him this question. If you committed three sins a day for the year, that's about just shy of 1,100 sins. Just three a day. Now, all of us commit more than three, but just three. Multiply that by his age. That's a heap of sins. And I said, ask him this question. The good works that you're trusting, how do you know you built up a reservoir to answer every single almost 100,000 sins? Three sins a day times 365 times your age. That's a lot of sins. Here's the problem when you stand before God. How are you going to answer for every one of those sins? You won't have an answer. You will be mute. You won't know what to say. And so now the, the writer to the Hebrews is pointing out the futility of trusting in something outside of Christ. It cannot take away sin. That is the problem. That is the core issue for every single man, woman, boy, and girl. For everyone out there in the world who's trusting something, some religion, some person. Just ask them the question, can it take away sin? And they're going to look at you. You know what they're going to say? I don't know. I don't know. Want to know why? There's no evidence. You can sacrifice a chicken. You can be a Jehovah's Witness. You can be Scientology. You can be anything you want. But at the end of the day, do you have proof? Your sins are removed. That's the question. And I want you to think about that. Now let's look at what the Spirit of God says. The Lord Jesus came. Verse 6. God is not interested in sacrifice and offerings. Let me translate. God doesn't care what you do. Doesn't care what you offer. Because remember, it doesn't take away sin. Number two, God is holy. Sin has to be taken away. If not, it has to be judged. That's it. Number three, Verse 6, burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, God has no pleasure. If you or I do it with the intent to remove my sin, you have already failed. You see, I'm going to drumbeat that issue. If my good works, if you are not in Christ, if you don't know where you're going to spend eternity today, and you are trusting that I'm good enough. Okay. But does your goodness take away sin? 
Verse 7, then said I, Behold, I've come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure. So God made people do something that he really just didn't like. But he needed to do it to show them that you can't take away sin. There's a consciousness that I am a sinner. Verse 9, then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. Now let's look at the second. By that will, we, not the world, the we, we is important. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Absolutely important. Now we're going to understand a little, there's so much more, but a little about the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus and connected to the resurrection. The reason why our Lord Jesus is sinless, could not sin because he was very God, yet very man, is that when that rare, priceless, holy blood was shed, he at that time on the cross was bearing the sin of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, everybody. Those in the old covenant that was looking to him while they were trusting in the priest to go in once a year. And those sins we are covered, we are told in Hebrew, we won't go to it yet. They were looking for a savior that would come. And we now look back at a savior who because of his holy blood, that, that sacred blood that was shed. Just like the Old Testament, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission, no payment, no expiation of sin. And so our Lord Jesus, by virtue of one sacrifice, expiates, removes, addresses, just that simple. One sacrifice. Just one. And he says this, verse 10, we, and the we is important. The we represents people who now see I cannot address my sin. And that we trusted in Christ. And so what God does, although Christ died for the sins of mankind, God is not blind. Not everybody's going to receive that sacrifice. Some will reject it. Some will call it foolishness. So the we only applies to those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus as God's provision for their sins. It gets better. He says, we have been sanctified. What does that mean? It means set apart. Well, what does that mean? It means put to the side for a very special, unique purpose. Okay? For example, how many of us drove a car to get here today? Raise your hand. Good. Your car is sanctified. It is set apart specifically to you for your benefit, your pleasure, your travel, your whatever. It is yours. You've got a key. You purchased it. You made the payments. It belongs to you. You have the title. It's all yours. I may not like it, but it's still yours. It's, in a very small way, set apart, sanctified. We the Christian, the sinner who has repented, 
has been set apart, it gets better. How do you know? How would a Christian know? How would a repentant sinner know that their sins have been dealt with? How do you know? Two evidences. I'll give you the first and then we'll go to the second. So if you were to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And the writer talks about, <laughs> just for a connection, I'll just read Verse 16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Pause right there. Every Christian is indwelt by the Spirit of God. Now, how many of you agree with me that God is holy? Raise your hand. How many of you agree with me that God cannot tolerate sin? Raise your hand. How many of you in reading the Old Testament know that some people died because they were just wretched sinners? Raise your hand. How do you explain now that the Spirit of God dwells in me if I'm a sinner? Saved by grace. Right now as we speak, every one of us are conscious of something we have done. Something we may have said. That we know in our hearts that I wasn't good. Oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm so sorry. But remember, the Spirit of God lives in us. Now, this is, I want you to stay with me. From God's perspective, our sin, all of it, before we have lived out our life, has been paid for, expiated. You're saying, but brother, how can that be? Because I see my flaw. Stay with me. We are looking at us from God's perspective. In order for the Spirit of God to come down and live in a human being, which was God's intent to walk with us, to write his laws on our hearts, and we learned that in Hebrews. In order to do that, he had to deal with sin completely. Completely judge it. Completely wipe my record clean. Completely look at the crimes against God and the sacred blood of our Lord Jesus. Literally wipe the record clean. Pay for it. Secondly, God is judging the Lord Jesus as me because my sins are on him he is paying for me my sins my judgment my cries everything that i am he is on that cross paying for it judged of god separated from god rejected by god because it was me he was buried my crimes my record all that i am all that you are and so when God judges him, as Paul could say, I have been crucified with Christ. He said, but nevertheless I live. I'm alive now. But I look back at Calvary. I was there. I was judged in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when God looks at my record from the divine standpoint, all my sins, my entire history have been wiped clean. 
by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when God looks at me, I am amazed. He can't find it. He can't find the record. It has been expunged completely. Completely. And so now the Spirit of God can be ushered forth to live in that vessel. Because from God's perspective, there is no record. Now we're going to come to personal responsibility. But from God's perspective, <laughs> there's no record. It's been wiped clean while I'm still alive. Right here, right now. All our good works can't do that. <laughs> the man who trusts his works, he's a fool. He's a fool. And the only day, time he will realize that I made a mistake is when he stands before the great white throne judgment. Too late then. And so Paul could write to the church at Corinth, the Holy Spirit can now live in us because the work of our Lord Jesus Christ has been done to perfection when he said it is finished. That it is finished covers so many different areas. This is just one of many. When he said it is finished, our record has been wiped clean. Done. Later on in Hebrews, he says, I will write my laws in their hearts, their sins and their iniquities, I will remember no more. If you have trusted in Christ, you are a living miracle before God that your record, when Satan and his minions look at you, they, they come accusing you. <laughs> but then the Lord Jesus bears the proof. But clean, clean, clean. That's why some of the songwriters fail at words. They speak of cleansing and, and, and being whiter than snow because there's no words to express how in the world that God can accomplish this in Christ. But he did. We'll get to the proof. But I want to deal with personal responsibility because sometimes we fail to make the connection. God is holy. And now he says right here, if anyone corrupt or defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. A little bit of classroom teaching now. The same word for destroy, corrupt, defile, it's the same Greek word. What the Spirit of God is saying is, you defile my temple, I will defile you. Just that simple. Same word. The force is different, but it's the same word. You defile my temple, I defile you. In the Old Testament, that's what they were doing. Before Nebuchadnezzar came, they had idols in the temple. <laughs> in the temple. They were worshiping their idols, Baal and Molech. They would set up the, those images in the temple where just a few feet beyond was the Holy of Holies, where the Shekinah glory of Jehovah was. And what did he do? They defiled his temple. <laughs> he defiled them. He wiped them out, took them away, captivity, destroyed it. 70 years. Okay, let's talk personal responsibility. Let me boil it down and make it real simple. 
we all have flaws. Every one of us. Sin has tainted us in a way that what might be my issue is not yours. What is yours is not hers. What is hers is not yours. What is yours is not hers. Some of us lie. Some of us cheat. Some of us are envious. Some of us are greedy. Some of us are something. Paul says this in that same chapter 3. Let me just skip for time. Bear with me. Uh, verse 9 of chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. For we are all God's husbandry, God's building, according to the grace of God which has been given to me as a wise architect or master builder. I have laid the foundation, another builds upon it. But let's each see how he builds upon it. Pause there. Every one of us have a personal responsibility to behave in such a way that we are building upon the knowledge of the fact that my sins have been paid for. We're starting with a clean slate. That's better. He says, For other foundation can no man lay besides that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, grass, straw, pause. We are all, every one of us who claim to be a Christian, are given the same materials to build. Every one of us, we are on equal plane, like the, uh, the, uh, the uh, circumstance of the steward that the Lord Jesus, when he told that, that parable of, you know, the, the, the owner, if you will, gave to each of his stewards a certain amount of talent, okay? They were all given resources by the master himself with the expectation that they would go and multiply it, okay? Same responsibility, same resources. Here it is. Paul is saying, look. Believers, Corinth, here, uh, Brighton Avenue, every one of us are given gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. It's all there. Now, how are you going to build on your life as a Christian? Gets better. He says, the work of each, verse 12, 13, the work of each shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it is revealed it is revealed in fire. Here's the third thing about this. All of us are given a stewardship. All of us are given the same materials. And all of us must end our race at the judgment seat of Christ. That's where our race ends. Whether I be 15 or 55 or 65 or 85. And it's going to be tested by fire. It is going, how I've lived my life, the decisions I made now that I know that my sins have been paid for, wiped clean, the decisions that I have to make and how I've lived for Christ comes down to the fact that everything I've said, done, and thought, and we'll find what the secret is to the good metals. It's all going to be tested. If you or I are living thinking that, you know what, I have time. Wood, hay, stubble, my friends. I have time. God doesn't intervene and say, hey, you're going to die on such and such a day. So that you can get it cleaned up. You won't get that liberty and luxury. Gets better. He says, oh my if the work, verse 14, of anyone which he has built upon the foundation shall abide, he shall receive a reward. 
So what he's saying, what the Spirit of God is saying is, look, I can't, I won't tell you how to live, but I will tell you what's coming. I will give you the resources. I will instruct you. I will tell you what will happen at the end. It's going to be tested. You're going to be evaluated. And at the end of that, if it stands the test, you receive a reward. But if it doesn't, Verse 15, if the work of anyone shall be consumed, he shall suffer loss, but he shall be saved. Meaning, I got saved, but I lived for self and my own personal glory, and I didn't really, I've been forgiven, my sins have been paid for. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy myself. And then when it's put to the test, I will see it go up in smoke, so to speak. So you ask me, Brother Christian, what makes the difference? What makes the difference? I will tell you what I think makes the difference. You don't agree? That's fine. This is what makes the difference for me. What I just read. Paul says, verse 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? You don't know that? You don't know that? You know what that tells me? My task is to live every day knowing that. Just knowing that. That he lives in me. How I respond to you. He sees through me. He's in me. Watching this unfold. I could talk with you asking him for grace to love you. To treat you kindly. To bless you. I can ask for help. Perhaps to deal with that difficult brother or sister. And ask him to put words in my mouth. In a kindly disposition. I can ask him for grace. To help me use my resources. To help you when you're in need. I keep looking to him. To work in my life. In such a way. That I can be a blessing. I can be a blessing. I can make a difference, recognizing that I cannot do that by myself, and ask him, help me, help me, please. I sometimes find myself praying and asking God, help me not to waste time, but to do what I can while I can, because no day is promised. But if I, knowing that the Spirit of God dwells in me, and I'm asking God for grace to do the little that I can for His glory, then perchance <laughs> it might be gold, silver, and precious stones. Because I wasn't living for myself. I was living to please Him, knowing that He is very much present. And he says it, defile my temple, I'll defile you. You know, I, I tell stories of my dad. My dad is a piece of work. <laughs> oh my word. But I, I, I'm glad for those experiences. My brother and I were talking yesterday and he was, he, he, this is his testimony that I'm telling you. So he said to me, you know, we just have a chuckle because my dad is still alive, my mom is deceased. He says, you know, Christian, I used to, you know, one, two things I know about dad. 
If you're going to do your dirty work, don't get caught. Don't because he will make you the supreme example. And since my brother was the oldest, he said, in my, I said, so what's the second? In my mind, don't get caught in the whole, the whole thing. He said, no, no. He says, I have to watch you, and my sister's name, is, her, her pet name is Katie. He says, I have to watch you and Katie, because if you two saw me do it, and you did it, and you got caught, you're going to say, well, Hyatt did it, and you don't know my father. My father wants, quick story, true, true, true. I don't know what we did at home, but he asked who did it. Nobody opened their mouth. He took his belt off, and all three of us got it. He just—he made sure everybody will pay. Everybody's gonna pay. That's my dad. <laughs> but you know what I learned from my dad about the nature of God? What he says he will be, he will do it. And I learned that about God from my dad, who's not a Christian. That's what the Spirit of God is saying. Don't defile my temple, I will defile you. And Paul said it not like that tongue-in-cheek. He said it as a warning. After he's talked about our service, our lives, and how we live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go on. There's so much here. But we are holy. And the point I'm making here is one point, one important point. The fact that I'm indwelt by the Spirit of God is evidence that my sins are paid for. That's one of the key evidence that everything you and I, if we've trusted in Christ, everything we've ever done, our entire history has been expiated, wiped clean. And so God can now, if you will, legally and morally come down in the, in the person of the Spirit and live in this mortal body where we are still conscious of sin, but not from God's perspective. Why? Because our sins have been wiped clean. And here's the, here's the beauty of it. What is the second evidence? It's the one we celebrate on Easter every single year. We say it in three words. He is risen. The resurrection is the second key evidence that what God demanded, the, 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 the requirement to wipe away my record. If you are sitting here today and you are hearing my voice as I hear my voice, I am here to tell you everything you've ever done. And, Brother Keenan, I don't know how old you are. I'll say you're 25. You might get to be 75. But from God's perspective, everything you have ever done in your lifetime that he can see, having trusted in Christ, that whole record is gone. While you're still sitting there at 20-something years old. That is a miracle, my friends. That is the blood of Jesus. I told that to my brother-in-law one day. He's in one of those lodges, and you know he's uh, you know he's, he, I, the whole family was there. We're there, everybody's looking at television, and two of us are talking. They can hear us, and I said, "Make your best case." And he's telling his good words, and his this, and his that, and I don't know his llama and his giraffe and whatever it is that he wanted to tell me he was trusting in. And I listened and I listened and I listened until my head ached. And I said, "Let me ask you something." After all you said to me, I just have one question: What? Guarantee do you have that it's enough? 
And the man stood there quietly, pondering. I said, take your time. He said, well, I don't know. I said, okay. I said, from, I said, now, I love you. His name is Gary. I said, Gary, I love you. But you know what the Bible calls you? A fool. Not me. <laughs> Fear to God, you're a fool. So he says, well, what guarantee do you have? Couldn't wait. I said, my brother, I already acknowledged I am a sinner. Christ Jesus died for the ungodly. I said, in so many words, I placed all my trust in him. And the Bible tells me that he, by his shed blood, paid for my sins. I said, you want to know what my guarantee is? He said, yeah. I said, by my direction. Every time I think that Christ Jesus sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, that is my proof. My sins are paid for forever. <laughs> How do you know? Let's read it. Oh, I love this. Oh, my, 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 my. Hebrews 10, let's go back to Hebrews. Verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, here again, which can never take away sin. You can underline that in your Bible. It's not, it's not a sin to underline in your Bible. <laughs> Verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one, underline the word one, Sacrifice for sins, underline the word forever. One sacrifice pays for my sins forever. One sacrifice pays for your sins forever. Eternity, eternally, on and on, gets better. After this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God forever. From that time waiting until his enemies made his footstool. Jesus Christ, sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high, is the living evidence that our sins are paid for in total. Before. 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 You have even lived out your life. That is the sacrifice and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God gives me one evidence, only one. He lives. He'll never have to do it again. It was sufficient once, forever. He did it. That, my friend, is who we are trusting. His blood paid for my sins. Without the shedding of blood, he said, there is no remission for sin. His blood was shed. He was a sinless sacrifice. God was pleased, raised him from the dead. He becomes the living evidence that whosoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ has everlasting life. That person, having trusted in Christ, Ephesians 1, sealed immediately by the Spirit of God, indwelling. Why? Sins have been paid for. You might be sitting there saying, but brother, sometimes I get a little annoyed. I get a lot annoyed. I'll be honest with you. I get, ay, ay, ay. God has helped me over the last 40 years to shut my mouth. But in the beginning, I couldn't shut my mouth. I just told you off. I remember one time, oh my goodness, this lady I was talking to, just a friend of mine, I was in college. She got me so annoyed. It was a rainy day. I took my umbrella and I just, I was so angry. I just heaved. I just, I was, I was so embarrassed that I have to admit that to you. But that's me. That's me. 
I said, one day, Lord, change me. And then after I started working, God put all kinds of stupid people in places where I worked that just kept poking me, poking me. And I had to go back to God until one day I realized what he was doing. And I said, Lord, please, just empower me. And so I found that precious promise in James 1. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You learn to shut your mouth and just take it by the grace of God. So now I'm learning to take it. In my head, I said, Lord, please deal with them. But I take it for Jesus' sake. We have to stop three more minutes. Quick recap. Two evidences, two evidences that your sin and mine are paid for. The first is in 1 Corinthians 3, when he says, You, don't you know that you are the temple of the living God? The Spirit of God lives in you. In order for that to have been effected, put into effect, sins have to be paid for. Everyone, nothing can escape. I will never be able to explain to you how I can be here conscious of my own human frailty. Yet from God's perspective, it is a non-issue because I am, you are right now indwelt by his spirit. But if you are doubtful of that, if you and I are still learning to walk in the spirit, if we sometimes stumble over our own shoelaces in attempting to live out by God's grace, the Christian life, I can look away from myself and look at the promise of the scripture that Christ sits at the right hand of the majesty on high and by virtue of the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ lives, this is God's proof to you and me. Our sins have been addressed. And the only thing, the only thing we need to do is to rest our confidence on that one. Oh, my dear saints, sometimes we dishonor God. Because we say, oh, but what about that thing I did? What about what I said to that brother? And I'll, I want to leave this with you. We'll pick up next week. In 1 Corinthians 11, you can write it down and go look at it this afternoon. Paul says one thing. When you and I sin, judge ourselves. Call it what it is. If I, Alex and I are talking and I lose my cool with Alex and I behave poorly. What the scriptures are saying is, Christian, go to Alex. Say, Alex, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Own it, Christian. Own it. You want to know why? Because he told the church at Corinth, if you don't judge yourself, he has to judge you. And that is how we can walk this Christian life. Every time, any time we do something, say something, think something. Oh, beloved, don't let it linger. Judge it. Judge it immediately, quickly. Because God is holy. And therefore, when we judge ourselves, Paul says, he won't judge you. Don't spare yourself self-judgment. Call sin what it is. Don't, don't excuse it, don't, don't sweeten it, don't nothing. Brothers, if you had a lustful thought, own it before God. He sees it, Lord, Lord, help me. 
Might be a single man with that when I was a single man. Lord, please provide a wife for me. Okay? Why? Because I can't keep my thoughts straight. Okay? Oh, uh, yeah, I know. You know, ask the young man. Anyway. <laughs> judge it. And Paul said, because they fail to judge it, some of you are weak, sickly, and some sleep. So we're going to stop there. So those three things. Indwelt by the Spirit, evidence number one. The risen Lord Jesus at the right hand of the majesty on high, evidence number two. But in terms of how I walk, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, and the resources I have to use, call sin what it is, judge myself quickly, own it. If there are differences be between believers, I'll tell you right now, fix it, fix it quickly. <laughs> Don't let it linger. Why? Father in heaven, we bless you. Thank you for your word. Oh, Father, help us, we pray. We are before you with hands lifted up, open. We are dust. We earnestly beg you for your grace and help to live in a way that brings you glory. Meet the need of each one by in your presence today for your glory and pleasure. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.